If you're anything like me, you're painfully aware that you can afford to be fitter, and yes, quite frankly, thinner. Achieving a healthy weight has all kinds of benefits and positive associations, from improved mood to a longer life. We know this, but somehow it's still just, hand me another cookie. But what if your health status didn't just impact on you, but on your children, even those who are yet to be born? Would that boost your motivation? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, thanks for joining us for another week of Signs of the Times Radio. On the phone with me, I have uh, a great double act. I have Suvi Mahonen, who's written a a great article for us in this month's Signs of the Times magazine, entitled, (laughs) strange enough, you're going to like this, This Generation Needs to Fight Obesity for the Sake of the Next. We'll be chatting to Suvi in a minute, but she's also got one of her her friends and and consultants on, on the phone with her, local Gold Coast GP Mark Jeffries. Apparently you're very popular, Mark. People from the Sunshine Coast and Brisbane, everyone wants to come and see you. You must be doing something right there, mate. Well, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to, to hear that. We do try to do as much as we can to help people. And I think fertility, we can't... In, in the complexity of infertility, that's in the hands of specialists. But certainly, on the topic today, we're talking about weight and yeah, fertility. Yep. And I guess that's something we can assist people, even small, five to ten percent drop in weight can have a significant in, impact on or 5 to 10% weight loss can improve fertility outcomes. Okay, all right. Well, before we get into those specifics, so just generally, you you have a couple who come to you as a GP. They say they're planning on getting pregnant. Uh, I mean, obviously you're saying obesity is is something that you'll be looking at, but there must be a a number of factors that you'll be chatting with them uh, about that may affect their their chances of of uh, falling pregnant. So what, what are some of those? Well, the, the first one probably nowadays, I think, is coming to the top of the list is career infertility. People right. are paying their pregnancies and then getting into their mid-30s and wanting to have children and finding that maybe it's not that easy. So mm-hmm. that's the one that's, that's quite common in our society today. The When a couple comes in to discuss having a child, obviously there's the male and the female that mm. need to be investigated. There are clearly some issues in the male that, that need to be checked, particularly if they've been trying to have or for the partner to fall pregnant and they're not having some success, then mm. the male needs to have a, a semen analysis done. So that's an easy one to do. Yep. In terms of the... The female partner, it really depends a lot on the age of that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone in the early 20s may have been on contraception, maybe an elite athlete who now wants to fall pregnant. Their circumstances are a little bit different to someone in their 30s, early 40s who wants to fall pregnant. And in, in the older clients, you need to uh, essentially do some investigations 
to assess their, their ovaries and their uterus and whether they have, there's a blood test they can have done to, to assess what their ovarian reserve is in terms of eggs. So uh, younger patients as well, uh, any patients that are suffering obesity, there is a common, not uncommon condition called polycystic ovary syndrome. Right. And that needs to be investigated and easily determined usually just with an ultrasound. And then we've got other patients that might have endometriosis and potential scarring to their fallopian tubes and on that basis could be having difficulty falling pregnant. Yeah. So it's, it, you've got to kind of just tailor your investigation to the individual, their past history. And if you do find something significant, then really they and can't change anything. So like uh, in terms of what we're discussing weight, we could help influence that by either using a dietitian so that they have slow weight loss. Mm. If we can't determine, if you can't achieve that, then they really need to see a fertility expert. Right. Okay. All right. Well, look, I'd, I'd love to have a, a chat with Suvi there too, because uh, Suvi has actually been speaking to a number of different researchers who are looking in, into this area of like the connection between obesity and, and fertility. So, look, you've spoken to a number of researchers in, in preparation for this article that, that is in Signs of the Times. You looked, I mean, before we get into the sort of fertility stuff in particular, you looked at obesity and apparently, um, I think a lot of us are aware that in the Western world in particular, this is a problem, a disease. Uh, we can call it a disease, I guess, that is actually increasing. It's, it's growing. Yeah, and I was really surprised that weight can influence egg quality. Like I, I was, that was one of the biggest surprises when I was sort of going through the research. Obviously age is really important, but, but yeah, weight can really influence your fertility too, just because of the amount of estrogen in your body. So fat cells, many people don't know that fat cells can produce estrogen. Mm -hmm. So to actually ovulate, you need a really fine balance of hormones. But if you've got, if you if you're obese, then all your fat cells are actually producing estrogen too, and that can definitely tip the balance away from your favour. And mm. it can actually improve. It can have an effect on the quality of your eggs as well. Okay. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah, you, you, you say in your article, you you got some really interesting statistics there. I mean, some quite shocking ones, really. You say that the WHO reckons that nearly forty percent of the world's adult population is overweight or obese I mean wow yeah, you, you, well, you, you point out that like dinner plates uh, have I've got larger and larger over the last few decades you you mentioned that uh, what used to be a size 12 dress in 1958 is now <laughs> well a size 12 dress is a lot larger than it used to be these are yeah I know I know and I love going into dress shops with large sizes because you put on a size 12 and oh this fits really well <laughs> <laughs> So it's great, but but yeah, look, obesity is a huge problem. Like it's it's just getting worse, and there's it's so multifactorial. There's a lot of different things. It was interesting in that article. I think I'm not sure if it's in there, but diet alone doesn't explain our obesity problem. Like if it mm. was only due to diet, they they actually did a graph from a book I looked at, and. If it was diet alone, the, the, the curve of the graph should be sort of, it's hard to explain, but if you move the graph to the right mm. and had everyone heavier than they were 20 years ago, if it was only due to 
diet or our changing diet, the graph should be exactly the same, just move to the right. But it's actually not. And so they, they say that just our, our, our lifestyle out there, like all the food that you can now buy, doesn't explain it. So they're saying that genetics has actually got quite a lot to do with obesity mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that, that's fascinating. Yeah, it, it's very simplistic to just tell people to just eat a healthy diet. Like that sort of doesn't really explain that, the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I was wanting to ask about epigenetics. Is that something that perhaps I should chat about with Mark Jeffries? Yeah, like I'll put you on. Mm. Yeah, epigenetics is really interesting, like just basically analysing your genetic code mm. and, yeah, just finding out sort of what what diet you should... Like there's quite a lot of companies that advertise now that you can have a genetic analysis mm. and they'll tell you what sort of diet would best suit you, like high protein or... Yeah, you know, yeah. Or whatever, but apparently that's the the science hasn't really caught up to the claims of the company. So, Mark, can you just explain to to us? I was I was going to say to our listeners, but what I really mean is to me, <laughs> epigenetics. What this is, I understand this is a sort of an emerging science. We're understanding that. Uh, your genes are not simply what locked um, from one generation to the next, but there can be little variations, things that turn on and off epigenetics. Am, am I on the right track? Yeah, I think essentially changes in the environment, maybe genetically modified foods, all of these things can have an effect on your genetic profile. Mm. and you can get changes. How that actually interprets at a cellular level is a bit beyond me, but, mm-hmm. you know, certainly we're seeing this in cystic fibrosis where the new genetic drugs have are now working uh, on patients' genes and the outcome for cystic fibrosis is, is remarkable now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it clearly shows that there is a way that gen- genes can modify... It can be modified by certain, you can say, epigenetic factors, mm-hmm. uh, be that in environment, foods around us. Yeah, well, I mean, Suvi's article, you know, quotes a, a professor from Andrology Australia who says that obese men have higher rates of sperm DNA damage that basically lifestyle, and in this case, the sort of lifestyle that leads to obesity, is actually, you know, possibly doing, you know, harm to the to the you know the DNA content of, of sperm does that sort of square with your understanding of what you know some of what's going on well if they've got the you know i mean if they've got the evidence to support that then i think it's, it's probably would be uh, creditable but Mm-mm. i think overall in the whole picture of weight and fertility which we're discussing mm. now i think we have to acknowledge that there is an epidemic, a diabetes epidemic. Mm-hmm. Obesity is causing insulin resistance, so that's affecting weight. How do you change insulin resistance? You've got to you, you've got to lose weight, yeah, uh, yeah. and then that's going to have a positive outcome. So mm-hmm. you have to you have to talk about things that are common, and 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 obesity, diabetes are all common factors mm-hmm. or common conditions that that will impact on fertility in males. Yeah, it's the first that I've been made aware that mm. lifestyle can affect the DNA in sperm. It's, it's in that statement alone. It's quite interesting because it's probably about thirty-six times thirty-six million sperm mm. that would be having their DNA changed by epigenetic factors. I don't know if I fully 
yeah. can comprehend that at this stage. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, look, may, maybe. I mean, instead of, instead, of, instead of having little sterns, you know, swimming up, you know, swimming forward, we might have uh, tadpoles swimming backwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess. I mean, the the sperm are manufactured like in in the testes, uh, and they sort of die, and then are remanufactured on a fairly regular basis, aren't they? So it's yeah. it's stands to reason that if the DNA of the body generally, or if there are factors floating around the body generally, then that sort of cell production or cell division or whatever that's happening in the testes may be affected by it. I mean, hey, I'm I'm not a scientist, but, you know, maybe I'm gullible, but yeah. it seems reasonable to me. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think um, there's not much that I can add to that comment. Yeah, so. yeah, sure, sure. Now, you, you chatted with this um, Professor Rob McLaughlin from Antrology Australia, and apparently oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently he he reckons that uh, that obesity can, uh, as I was you know just chatting about with um, with Dr. Jeffries, it, it can affect yeah. men's sperm, but it can yeah. also possibly affect the health of the embryo. And so th- this sort of thing, so obesity in the father can actually affect the genetics of the the baby that you eventually have, and even up to their um up to their adult life. Yeah, and this is really new research. Like, I, I don't know if it's really been published yet in humans, mm-hmm. but it's certainly been shown in mice. Right. Okay. And, yeah, and so when I spoke to the professor, he was he was certainly saying that it's very emerging research. It's it's very new. So yeah, um, yeah, it hasn't really come out in journals or anything. But he's saying that it it certainly shows that obesity is inheritable that's what he's that's what he's sort of saying like you're actually passing on so so in in the way that it affects the baby it's sort of passing on those genes that are susceptible to obesity if you know what i mean so mm-hmm. so so we're sort of favoring so we're we're sort of favoring obesity in our population so we've got obese parents they're passing on genes that are more favorable to obesity their children are then more likely to be obese those mm. children then pass on those genes, so we're favouring obesity as a as a population. Wow, so if, wow. you, if you sort of look at us down a hundred years, we're sort of heading towards that that sort of yeah, we're just just favouring favouring for overweightness, which which could be which could spell a lot of problems in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, yeah, you, you say in your article, you say as the environment changes and the population becomes more obese. Yep. Obesity in itself becomes yeah. inheritable, and I guess this is the basis of what you were saying before. It becomes more than about simply what you eat and and how much exercise you do. We, if if we choose to have poor lifestyle choices, we actually maybe. I mean, this is on the basic of mice studies, like you say, which isn't exactly yeah. you know hard science yet. But we are actually possibly at risk of passing some sort of negative physical characteristics uh, down to our children. I mean. I don't know. Does d- does that scare you? <laughs> it scares me. A yeah. Bit. Well, well, it does. And and look, I tell you what. Looking further into this issue gave me so much sympathy as well because mm. people are so critical. Like if you see someone really overweight, say at a buffet or something, sort of serving up food or whatever. Like, you, it's so easy to like just be judgmental. But when you look at the genetic factor, there are genes that control weight in a way, and there's one gene in particular that controls hunger. Mm-hmm. 
And these people that have, I think it's some sort of variant in the gene, they feel hungry all the time. And so if you, if you think about it, if you've ever tried to lose weight, it's actually horrible feeling hungry. Mm-hmm. Like it's a terrible feeling and your body will fight against that feeling of hunger. Like you, you'll be, you know, it'll want you to eat so that you don't feel hungry anymore. And so there are some people that to maintain a normal weight, no matter what they eat, means they feel hungry every single hour of every single day. So mm-hmm. I think people really need to keep that in mind if they see, so, if they see someone overweight because it's such a complex issue. It's, it's so much more complex than just telling someone, oh, just eat less or eat more healthy. It, it's just not that simple. I just thought we should take a short break to let you know that Signs of the Times is having a very special subscription offer right now. The magazine is only $26 for a whole year to receive it to your mailbox, 11 months a year, every month except January. But for a limited time only, and while stocks last, as they say, we will also send you, with your new or additional subscription, a free book authored by Nathan Brown. The book is entitled Of Falafels and Following Jesus. And in that book, Nathan, along with some other authors, recounts his recent visit to the Middle East. And yes, there were falafels too. If you'd like to take advantage of this offer, all you need to do is go to our website, signsofthetimes.org.au, and hit that subscribe button. And while you are in the process of subscribing, use the coupon code box and write in that box, falafel. F-A-L-A-F-E-L The website again signsofthetimes.org.au So Mark, I mean honestly, between you and me and the millions of Australians listening in, how good is the average GP at helping someone to lose weight? I mean, you mentioned you know possibly referring to a, a nutritionist or a dietitian before. Is is that is that necessary? I mean, do do GPs know a lot about nutrition and and weight and and that sort of thing, or or, or is that too sort of lifestyley? There are products available that that may assist weight loss, mm-hmm. but at the moment, you would best. If you're going to be falling pregnant and you you need to lose weight, mm. I think a dietitian would be useful once you've excluded things like polycystic ovary syndrome. Sure. And this patients with diabetes, you, you really need to give them some incentive to and, and understanding of what they should be eating. Mm. And it's quite possible that a lot of patients particularly if they've got a a diet high in flavonoids, in other words, with certain nuts and lectins, their diet may, they may think they've got a good diet, but Mm. in in actual fact, their diet isn't good. So I think nutrition is probably a better way of, a better word here. Sure. Nutrition is probably out of the scope of most of general practitioners because mm-hmm. I think dietitians have a qualification. They've studied nutrition. And I think if you really feel that the patient needs to lose weight, then I think you need to engage them with a nutritionist and you need to engage those patients with an exercise program. 
Because at the end of the day, I think as much as Suvi was saying, um, you know, obesity is a complex issue, mm. particularly with um, fertility. A lot of it also comes down to simply calories in versus calories out. Mm. And you really need to be on a dedicated program to achieve that. Where the GPs can help are uh, with some of the newer drugs that have been made available, and if clients want to engage in those, they can. Can, can you tell us about some of those medications? I mean, are these the sort of things that, what, speed up your metabolism or, or reduce your, your feeling of hunger? or, or yeah, like what's, what, yeah. what do they do? They, they're called GLP-1 agonists, and the, the, the one out there at the moment is Saxenda. Um, there is another one called Bieta, but Bieta's indication at the moment is it's not on the PBS for, for weight loss. Yeah. They can be useful. I think when we come to weight, we need to determine for the patients as well as how morbidly obese they are and and if they do in fact have infertility because some patients may need to engage in weight loss surgery possibly if if they find if if their weight is, 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 is an issue in regards to falling pregnant. But that sort of a discussion would be with the in mm. the realms of the obstetrician. Yeah, yeah. No, so so I think that really, in general practice, we would be we would like to use some of the allied health profes- professionals, the dietitians, maybe the exercise physiologists, to deal with patients to to get them on the program, and and to engage them in the high maybe before they fall pregnant, a high intensity type of program, so they can you know, mobilize as much energy as they can in a mm. short period of time. Yeah, and, and, and increase their chances of, of falling pregnant. Fair enough. So yeah. at, at, at what point do you, do you actually seriously consider someone, uh, I don't know what their medical name is, but <laughs> lay people, we call it having your stomach stapled, you know, actually having the size of your stomach reduced or some sort of like physical ring sort of being put around it to, to reduce the size? Is that... Do things have to get pretty desperate before you will consider that? Typically, those patients would have what we call a body mass index greater than 35. Mm. We haven't, we do have gastric balloons that can be inserted. It's still quite expensive. Yeah. And I think that's definitely something the newer ones that will hopefully be getting TGA registered in the not too distant future will allow easy insertion of these balloons into the stomach to reduce people's weight and I think that could be from my perspective quite a good option rather than major surgery Mm. it's just going to become an affordability issue but that's certainly being used in the states at the moment okay well that's really interesting to know we'll have to keep a, a lookout for that so, Suvi, in preparation for your article, you did a little bit of research on, on what a balanced diet actually looks like. And I suspect this is something that is not widely known, you know, in, in, in the general population. So what, what are some of the basics? Give, give us the basics from, from what you found with your research, talking to, you know, various experts. 
Yeah, well, obviously, fruit and vegetables are a big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, and vegetables. I think people underestimate the importance of vegetables and especially greens. And it's very interesting, actually. From the research, I spoke to some scientists at our Bosch, Bosch Institute. Mm. And he was explaining the benefit of especially green salady vegetables. Like, you sort of think of minerals and vitamins when you think of salad greens. Yeah. But the, the actual real benefit for the body can come from these small toxins that are in these sort of more bitter greens like kale, you know, arugula, those sorts of greens. Did you really, mean, did you really mean to say toxins? Yeah, like I know, it's real. I know exactly, this was such a surprise for me as well. So the way it, it improves your health is your body reacts to these toxins as a sort of very slight stress. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's similar to exercise. So if you if you exercise, you're you're actually stressing your body to a certain amount, and yeah. it's because of this stress that it sort of forces your cells to upregulate. That's right, and and, 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 you, and you you tear your muscles slightly, and then when they reconnect, they rebuild. That, they rebuild. They're actually stronger than before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like they upregulate themselves, and so these sort of slightly bitter greens do exactly that to your to your body. Like they, it's a very small sort of stress up for your for your body internally, and um, it causes cells to upregulate. So, mm-hmm. so that's actually how um, greens and and vegetables can actually sort of really help your weight because you can understand, can't you? Like a really sweet piece of fruit mm. that's not going to um, be quite <laughs> stressful to your body, yeah. is it? Whereas, like you know. Some, some kale, for instance, like that little bit of bitterness in green. Mm. That's sort of okay. like what you... Mm, yeah, you, so you, 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 you quote a dietitian here, um, Dr. Harold Waldrip, in, in your article, and uh, he, yeah. he talks about, like, like you were talking about a plant-based diet, aren't you? Fruit, fruit yeah. and veg, or yeah. a Mediterranean diet. But uh, there's more than just fruit and veg involved there, isn't there, in, in those, yep. those diets? Like, where, where do you get your protein, for example? Yep, yep. So healthy protein. Vegetarians are perfectly fine with their protein as long as they eat a variety. So that's the key for a vegetarian. Where from? Where from? <laughs> yeah, well, chick- chickpeas, beans, legumes, right. nuts are high in protein. Then obviously there's your dairy products, cheese, milk has protein, obviously. Whole, whole um, grains, so I understand, that, that, have more protein yeah. than we often think they do. Yeah, well, oh, sorry, I missed that bit. Yeah, whole, dairy products have no. I was saying whole grains apparently have a, a lot more protein than sometimes we give them credit for. Oh, they do. They absolutely do have pro- protein in them as well. That's absolutely true. And in fact, don't quote me on this, and I'm not sure, but I think there are some whole grains maybe that might have the entire selection of protein that you see. Wow. That's the thing. Like meat has, if you eat a piece of meat, that's got every single amino acid that you that your body needs, whereas that's not the case with, with vegetarian food. So chickpeas, lentils, right. rice, say, you, you actually have to have a variety because not, not any one has the entire amino acid profile that you need. But right. it's no problem as long as you eat a variety. Yeah, my, my, my mum was always yeah. big on eating all your colours, she reckoned. It was yeah, important to get all, exactly. all the colours on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, exactly. I know. Yeah, and nuts. I mean, nuts are perfect. And eggs. Eggs are eggs are wonderful. Yeah. If you eat eggs, they're, well, they're they're, they're, they're a little controversial, Sylvie, because that that is saturated animal fat and stuff. And and I think the jury goes in and out on on eggs, but uh, but oh, certainly. I think 
yeah, I think the jury's. I think it's pretty decided now that eggs are pretty good. Oh, okay, I, oh, that's I, good. Yeah, I, it sort of comes under. I'm pretty sure it comes under the healthy fats. So <laughs> that's good. good. Google, most will say no. Eggs are pretty good. That's that's good because <laughs> I, I like eggs. And you, you point out yep. in your in your article that um, moderation is important. And 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 it's interesting actually. One of the um, you know, we talk about eating disorders and anorexia and that sort of thing. But apparently, mm-hmm. there's another one called oh, these are orth- orthorexia, which basically yeah. means this obsession with clean eating and eating right and it can actually become unhealthy so i guess moderation also in, involves not getting so obsessed that you you, you make yourself oh, mentally sick oh absolutely i mean look you know have a balanced diet have a piece of chocolate cake you're <laughs> gonna be fine like you're really gonna be fine i mean yeah that that's exactly right going to either extreme is not healthy for your body either yeah so, fair no, enough <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And, and, and plus dark chocolate, I mean, come on, it's got health benefits. Well, well that's right. We, we, we are talking about making babies here and there, there has to be chocolate involved at some stage. <laughs> that's right. Really. Sure it does. It's, yeah, it's, just choose the healthy variety. It, that's right. Ro- romantic food. <laughs> that's it. Chocolate-covered strawberries, dark chocolate-covered strawberries. Love it, love it. <laughs> hey, That'll set you up for a good night. <laughs> excellent. Hey, thanks so much, Suvie. I really appreciate you writing the article for us and uh, for helping us out today with with Science Radio. Oh, thank you so much for your time and for having us on the show, Kent. It's genuinely always a pleasure. <laughs> and thank you so much to, uh, to you, uh, Dr. Mark Jeffrey. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit scienceofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. 